Anyway, uh, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We have Mr. Mark Sampson, uh, the VFA Pro License and uh, the FIFA World Cup Bronze Medal winner and uh, former England national team's uh, women's uh, coach. So welcome, sir. Uh, it's a privilege to, to be as a host of uh, Pro India, the captain speaks. Well, I think you did a really good job for me. But um, no, my, I'm a, a football coach, a football manager experience at every level really from academy level to club level professional men's and women's and then international management with a women's national team world cups european championships and, and currently we're working in the english football league which is uh two divisions below the premier league in england as a first team assistant manager helping the team try and win some matches Great, thank you. So, can you please uh, uh, tell about uh, your footballing career and, and your transformation from uh, a player to a successful coach? So, we want you to share uh, the journey. How did the journey begin? Well, I think probably like a lot of people, the journey began with just really enjoying playing football. So, as a, as a very young person, I was lucky in, in Wales, where I'm from, that there was a lot of access to, to play for junior clubs. So that was where it started. That was where the, the love of the game started. Playing on the local park, in the street with your friends. And, you know, as time went on, just wanting to do it more and more. And as a result of playing for a long time, I, I just got involved in coaching, to be more involved in football. So then... I couldn't play every day and I wanted to play most days and coach other days. Oh. At some point along that path, I made a decision that maybe the playing career would, wasn't going to go to the level I hoped it would, but All right. maybe the coaching career had a better chance. So were you, when you actually transformed yourself from a player to coach? I, I was actually very young. I am... Um, I actually started coaching when I was 16. You are still very young. Playing. Yes, very young. Um, and again, it was, it was more just to try and be involved in football on an even more regular basis than what I was with playing. Uh, so yeah, I, I was 16 when I started and, and from there just took every possible opportunity I could to get experience uh, and learn the game. And as I say now, I'm lucky that even though I'm only 37, I've had 20 years experience of coaching as well as obviously my years playing. Oh, that's brilliant. And, and, and uh, how do you get a break to the England national team? That's a huge break must be from you and it's an honour for you. Yeah, I think uh, my, my prior job to working with England was I was working with a, a women's club in England who were playing in the equivalent of the English Premier League. And we were... Uh, uh, a lowly ranked club in terms of, of resources and finance, normally finishing round about the relegation places. But I spent three years there and with a combination of, of good players and hard work and probably a little bit of luck along the way, we, we managed to really promote the club to a point where we were getting to FA Cup finals and, and competing to win the league and qualifying regularly for the Champions League which then put me in a place where I could put my name forward for the England job based on 
hopefully the knowledge I could share with them and what I could bring to the job. But also I had the background that my results were good. My, the work I'd done at the club was to a high level. So at least that got me through the door then to have conversations with the people who were going to make those decisions. Oh, that's lovely. That's very inspiring, actually. So what is the system in the UK for managing the women's team during the off-season? Well, in, in England, uh, the women's games is flipped. So in the, in the women's game, they, we play in the summer and off-season is the winter, whereas obviously in the men's game, it's the way around. So... I think a lot of the time, like any modern day footballer these days, is that a bit like a, a boxer used to be. So 10 years ago, a boxer would, would train for three months, have their fight, and then have three months where they let themselves go. Probably too much drink and too much food and very little exercise. But with a modern day player, I'm not sure you can afford to do that now, is that you know, the job now is 24-7, 352 days a year. So even in the off-season, players are having to maintain their fitness levels, just maybe in different areas rather than on-the-pitch training. So, all right. So you, and what about their nutrition and the psychological part as well? So you have all the collective things uh, for rest of the season? Or you only operate during the season and not in the off season? No, we, we don't. I think we, we, as a national manager, you, you're restricted that you've only got access to the players for a certain amount of time, even in the season. So, what the challenge was was around an educational challenge. So, how could we educate the players and inform them and work with them? So, when we weren't watching and supporting them, they were still doing the things they needed to do to produce high-level performances on a regular basis. All right. Thank you. Uh, I just want to know about the importance of scouting uh, in building a team. Yeah, I think like, like any team is that recruitment is probably a fundamental aspect to, to success. It, it's not the only aspect. You know, there's many teams and national teams and clubs who've, who've done a really good job on recruitment, but that hasn't transmitted into results. You know, it, it is a full package. It's about recruitment. And then once you recruit, how do you develop players individually and how do you put them into a team structure? But in terms of recruitment, the, yeah, we, we had some very stringent measures and strong procedures in place to make sure that we were very clear on what, the profile of player we wanted. So for a specific position, a winger, for example, we were clear on what qualities we wanted in a winger. So when you're recruiting straight away, if, if you wanted pace in that position, yeah. you could probably rule out 50% of wingers straight away. And then you can analyse in more detail and narrow that, that form down. And then we were very clear on not do we want players of a high technical and tactical level, but we wanted players of the right character um, so we could recruit all-round athletes that we could work with and improve. I think making sure that they still had room for improvement was an important quality for us. No, that's brilliant. So it's a process. Basically, it's a process. Yeah, that'd be a fair assessment.
All right. So what's the key differences between coaching a men's team and a women's team since you are associated with both the teams, I think. So is there any major differences or it's almost the same? And if it's almost, almost the same, then what's the key differences? Yeah, I think that'd be a fair assessment that ultimately there, there's, there's a lot of similarities. There's always going to be the physiological differences in terms of uh, speed, power output. And, and they will always be there for as, as long as we're playing the game. That, it's obviously human nature. So other than that, I think that the only differences are, I suppose the challenge is a better phrase, is that ultimately when you work with a group of players, you're always going to get different types of personalities. So whether it's the men's game or the women's game, you're always going to have players that are quite difficult to manage and other players who are very easy to manage. And, the key coach of it, the key skill of any coach is to understand all your individual players and work out how do you get the best out of them. So basically, you're, t you're telling it's a basically it's a man management uh, skill that becomes to become a very very high performance coach. That's right. I think people management is critical in, in any industry, correct? Um, football or not, is how do you how do you create a vision for the people you're working with that they can get behind, that they can want to aspire to? How do you help them feel part of that vision and, and make them understand that you value their contribution towards helping us all get towards that vision? And then really how are you helping them get better in themselves? Uh, right. And they were the principles we work with on a consistent basis. Tell, tell us about your preparation, not only tactical or technical, I just want to uh, tell us about the mental preparation uh, prior to that mega event because I believe mm -hmm. psychological factor is definitely one of the key components for success. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a great point. And, and I think with any, with any project, the way I've always worked is work backwards from the end point. So with the World Cup, it was a matter of, okay, well, we want to be competitive in this tournament. We want to try and win the World Cup. So if we put that at the top of our organisational chart and we work back then from, well, if the vision is winning the World Cup, what have we got to do to get there? So we're, we're here now. We want to get there. Plotting those steps is very important. So that was the first challenge is winning the World Cup, all the steps from where we are now to winning it, what are they? What do they look like? And then start to action that. And who's going to do that? Who will do this? When are we going to do it? Is it feasible? Um, create resource, find infrastructure, educate people to put ourselves in a position to give ourselves the best chance of winning it. So that, that was the, the process we went through in planning. And then once you've gone through the planning process, you get into the, the execution adapting part, which is executing the plan while consistently reviewing the plan, looking if you need to adapt. All right, thank you. So basically you have like split it into short-term, medium goal and a long-term goal, is it? Yeah, that, that would be part of it, is that um, you know, vision's important because you need to have that long-term vision for motivation. You know, what gets you out of bed in the morning? And, and oh. winning a World Cup is a great motivation yeah. to get yeah. you working. Yeah. But if you haven't got the short-term processes in place, yeah. I, I, what am I got to do today 
what have I got to do this week, this month? Sometimes that vision can seem a long way off. So you, you always need to have a combination of both. Having just short-term processes, you can maybe lose the motivation. But without the short-term processes, you can sometimes realize that actually this feels like a long way away. All right. So any impact on the NLP, uh, Neuro Linguistic Program, uh, in, the, in the English side? We, I think the big thing for us was linking definitely some elements of psychology to our performance. Um, it was really around a team that were you know, really big outsiders for that event, coming into the tournament as probably not even one of the top 10 contenders for the event. How do you create belief that the team and the staff and ideally the supporters have a genuine belief and confidence that they can, they can win this tournament? So a lot of work went into that, building belief, building confidence, and to put ourselves in a position where when we arrived in Canada, there was a, a strong sense that we could do something really special. All right. Talking about the World Cup in Canada, well, uh, adaptability. So how, uh, before how many days you went to Canada and uh, for the adaptability of the situation and, and, the, and the another country and the, another weather? So how, how, how did it manage to acclimatize with the situation? Well, it's, it's a big challenge because going from the UK to a Canadian summer is a mm -hmm. significant difference. Talking probably in between five to seven degrees in general, um, mm. let alone altitude, so on and so forth, and time zones. So, yeah, I think, I think our sports scientists spent a lot of time and effort looking at how do we adapt our sleep patterns? How do we acclimatize to the, the temperature? and the humidity, and, and we did a lot of work in terms of, of when we should go out, when we should change our time zones, whether we, we train above what I, I would call game pace, so how often we would train at a tempo and intensity above what we were going to experience in the tournament, but also at a temperature and humidity above what we would experience in the tournament to make sure when the tournament arrived, we were obviously fully prepared. All right. Uh, talking about the sleep pattern, which is, I think, another very important aspect. So how, rest, how do you control the resting phase or the sleep pattern to different individuals? So is there any specific skills involved or a routine or something like that? Because we are not aware of controlling a sleep pattern. So can you please elaborate on that? I think you've probably summarized it quite well in terms of that ultimately it is an individual situation. And often in, in team environments, we, we put a lot of people in the same bracket. So although we've got 23 players trying this tournament and we are one team, every one of those 23 players needs to be motivated, needs to be managed in very different ways. So we weren't, didn't have the finance to put people in individual rooms. So working out whose circadian rhythms and sleep patterns fit with each other to room them together made a lot of sense rather yeah. than... Yeah, but uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. One sleeps at uh, 10 o'clock in the night and one uh, still awake uh, maybe 12 uh, in, from, in the morning. So, so how do you control the individuality into a collective team? 
yeah. I think it's the same as team tactics on the field, is that ultimately you are a team, so there needs to be some guidelines, a framework in which we all fall within to allow us to work together. But that framework's aim should be to enhance individual performance. So we were always conscious of where does the framework sit versus where does the freedom sit? And in that area in particular, we would often have regular conversations with senior players, with the players as a group around what do they need to be at their best and then find a balance between, well, this is what you need, but this is what we need to do to make sure that we were consistently giving individuals the best chance to perform on a match day. Oh, that's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant because uh, that's, that's a key actually. And uh, how do you manage the stress factor uh, 24 hours before the big game? So what, what are the key areas that you look upon beyond the tactics and technical point as well? So what are the key factors? Well, in a, in a major tournament in a women's game, you, you normally, you typically have in between three and four days to prepare for games. So, for example, you would play on a, on a Monday afternoon or evening. You would then have Tuesday off, sorry, Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday, and either play on the Friday or the Saturday. So, we were very consistent. I think consistency is a key point. Is everyone knowing how that period works and looks? So you can get yourself in a position where you've got real clarity about what's going to happen. And we would split our days into themes. So we would actually use C, the C words as an often um, basic on principles. So if you work back from three days before a game, match day minus three would be about control. It would be, well, sorry, it would be about clarity. So clarity would be making sure that the players really understood by the end of that day how we were going to go about winning the next game. And then once we had that clarity, match day minus two then would be more about building confidence. So we had a clarity. We understood what we, what we needed to do. Now it's about building the players' confidence two days before a game so they could actually deliver that plan on a match day. And then... The match day, the day before the game, would often be about control. So changing our mindset to be, there's a lot of things going on here. Media, supporters, pressure. But we've got the clarity. We've got the confidence we can deliver that game plan. Now we just need to put it all into a box to understand this is what we can control. Let's not worry about what's outside that box. Let's focus completely on what's in our box and then go and deliver it. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for getting into that detail. And uh, how do you manage that switch on and switch off mode on the match day? Yeah, I think it's a really good phrase as well, is that we, we would often, uh, as you can imagine for these major events, that you have a, a huge schedule. So you've got 23 players to manage, you've got 20 staff, you've got, you know, infrastructure so every time we move we've got to not just move all those people we've got to move five ton of equipment and resources so logistically that takes a lot of work so with our schedules what we're very clear on is that if the schedule is in two colors so 
activities were either in green or red. And if activity was in green, it was a switch on moment. So training would be a green activity that we need you to be switched on focused. But there'd be other activities that were in red. And we would distinguish very clearly between those two. So when it was a green activity, you were required to wear official kit. You were required to report to a certain place at a certain time. But when it was a red activity, you were free to wear your own clothes. You could report when you wanted. You had many options, whether you even wanted to attend. So we were very big on how often we would give the players on switch on time and switch on off time. And we'd actually present to the players at the start of the week about how it broke down. So this week, you're going to have 80% of your time in a red zone, 20% of your time in a green zone. But then one week, it might be 50-50, for example. But mm-hmm. yeah, understanding and, and making sure that the players... Because you have to have the clarity again. It's all well and good telling the players they can switch off. Yeah. But then if your leadership team uh, still managing players in switch-off time, it's not really switch-off time. Right. If a player is being told they can switch off, right, you know, put your, put your, put your tracksuit on or walk up straight or why are you late? Well, it's not really switch-off time. So I think you have to have buy-in from everyone to understand that we're in that zone now and we have to role model it and take a backward yeah. step. Talking about Indian uh, system, uh, there is a vast disparity in the nutritional value in our country. And how much do you think uh, it has an impact on the performance level of a player? Nutrition? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, I think it, any area in relation to performance is important. So ultimately, if we work back from I've got to deliver on a Saturday, then your preparation is about how do you give yourself every single tool you need to give yourself the best chance of delivering the high-level performance. And nutrition is obviously critical. You know, that, that also analogy couldn't be more true, could it? That if you're putting um, unleaded petrol in a Ferrari, you ain't going to get very far. So I think understanding what you put in your body, how much and when you do it, it is critical to give yourself a chance of performing well. Perfect. Well, um, according to you, what are the, I'm just getting back to basic uh, question something. Like, according to you, what are the pathways from grassroots to elite in, in terms of women's development? Well, I think um, the, the pathway is, is ultimately that, that, that debate of if you are good enough, will you get there? And in my experience, you normally will. So I think in terms of pathways is that the, the important part for any development path, and it's the same for us, is that the Americans are incredibly successful in women's football because the base of their pathway is so significant in terms of numbers. And obviously, the more players you get playing the game, the better chance you've got of developing good players. So ultimately for us, Pathway was about having a huge base, the base being as big as possible. Can we get our selection pool as wide as possible that when we narrow it down, we're not running out of talent to play at the highest level? Can you please share a couple of uh, incidents 
successful incident uh, during the tournament of uh, England uh, in, in the FIFA World Cup? Yeah, there was probably a lot, luckily. But um, no, I think look, any any win at a World Cup is precious. You um, World Cups only come around once every four years, and prior to us going to that tournament, England had actually. It sounds strange. England would be perceived as being a big football nation. Hadn't won a knockout tournament, knockout game at a World Cup. So I think that the first knockout win for us against Norway was a was a real big moment for us, particularly given the fact that we were one 0 down in the game. And statistically speaking, at a major tournament, once you concede the first goal, there's an eighty five percent chance that you get knocked out. So. To concede the first goal, come back and win the first knockout game in England women's football history in a World Cup was was a, a massive moment for us in terms of it was a great moment, but also in terms of building belief that we could go a long way in the tournament. That was really really a pivotal moment that game that game against Norway. Obviously, one big match you won in the World Cup. Fine. Then, how do you see yourself to become? And and the rest of the team uh, to motivate for the next match and to control the emotion uh, and and preserve for the next match. Good question. I think it, one of the, the most important aspects in my experience and opinion is what we talked about earlier: is having clear processes that have been set in stone, have been discussed, have been agreed, and have been practiced, because. When you're in high-pressurized situations, routine is incredibly powerful. It's one less thing to worry about. Your routine gives you confidence in that we've done this before. If we do it again, we know we're prepared well for the next match. So we were always very clear that whatever the turnaround was—three-day turnaround, four-day turnaround—we had our set process in place that. We could win a match, and we could enjoy it and celebrate it. But the next day, we would know, okay, well, this is a match day minus three. The process is this, and we could quickly change our mindsets to be okay. Today is about review, preparation. Uh, I think that helped a lot in terms of making sure that we we had clear processes. But not only were processes in place, they were discussed at length a long time before the tournament. They were agreed as a collective, and they were practiced. All right, and uh, if the other way round, you hypothetically you lose three nil or two nil, uh, how do you, how do you motivate the players to come back? Because that particular match, you tend to forget the moment, or you you try to rectify from that particular mistake and move on. So, what exactly the thought process? We are going to the next match. Well, a World Cup is interesting because normally, if you lose, you're normally either going home or you're really in a difficult place to qualify for your group.、Uh, we obviously lost at the semi-final stage, but then had to prepare for a bronze medal match, which for us was was significant because we never England had never won a bronze medal at a World Cup. Yeah,、uh, they won a World Cup in '66 once, but that was the. Other than that,、mm -hmm. that that second spot was available to to become the second highest achieving England team ever. 
So I think, you know, again, it goes back to having processes, number one, you know, things that you can rely on, things that you know work. But also I think it comes down to as a leader, understanding your group and, and, and you know, involving them in decision-making around where they are at emotionally. Because as a coach, you always want to spend time on the pitch, in the meeting room, working on tactics to improve the team. But actually, understanding what the team needs at any given moment is a critical skill. And, and then not only understanding it, but then applying it and maybe adapting the plan uh, was very important to us from losing a semi-final to preparing to win a bronze medal match in a very short turnaround. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, uh, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for uh, the entire session.